And we are live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast barren wasteland that is the Biden administration. We are a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. We have a whole bunch of disease for you today. I'm Lee Strahan with co-host Jason Goodman on The Backstory. So Jason, I would say a lot of things have been coming together just in the past 48 hours. We're seeing Mariupol has finally fallen completely and totally, and with it, the narrative is falling. And you've got some new information about your friend Nian Chagwis, is that right? Exactly, yes, quite a lot. Yes, and we'll be playing that. And by the way, some of Jason's new information ties into information I've been covering right here on Radio Sputnik for about four years. We talked about the Integrity Initiative. Which are we talking about today, right, Jason? The Integrity Initiative, we've, we've covered it. It was on when I was the coast of Fall Lines. I think we did about five shows in total on the Integrity Initiative. So we've been, and Stop Fake, I've been talking about it for five years. And you'll see how that comes up soon. Because, and, and Bill Browder, who's also coming up today, I've been talking about forever. So everything's coming together now. We have a great show today. Tyler Nixon is joining us in the first hour. In the second hour, our good friend Ted Rawl. Jason, what's the name of the show? The Backstory. There we go. <laughs> now, uh, so I we got a couple of clips. Jason does a bunch of shows on Patreon, but this is from which show that you do on Patreon? Well, this was actually a special expose. Normally the Patreon shows, Lee, are done with a co-host, like your show on Saturdays. Uh, people can watch High Dive on Patreon and Subscribestar, but this was a special report that I did, and I had to do it on these viewer, sponsor, subscriber-only channels because media in the United States has become so opposed to the First Amendment that even when you say things that are not only legal but protected by the Constitution, these so-called private companies feel that they are not bound by the First Amendment, even though in certain instances they're being directed by the U.S. government, either directly or indirectly. They just take you off if they don't like what you're saying violating freedom of speech. So I did it on Patreon last night just as a special one-off expose and uh, basically put together a bunch of information that I have found over the past week, some of it quite explosive. And what's interesting is this information ties Nian Jankowicz into the networks that I've been talking about for five years. Mm -hmm. People like Bill Browder, right? Well, that I learned about from the Revolver.News report, which mentioned the Integrity Initiative. But not only that, it it posted uh, some documents from a leak. So they're basically saying in their report that these documents from the Integrity Initiative, it's got their logo all over it. There's a list here right. of UK cluster subgroups. And yes, the UK and General Inner Core Russia group, the first name on the list is William Browder, apparently yes. the most junior, because it's not listed alphabetically, either the last person added or the most junior or whatever, is Nina Jankowitz. 
Now, Gerald Beatty is the investigative reporter, and I want to congratulate him for finding this, but we were talking about it like three, four years ago. The mm-hmm. Integrity Initiative, we reported about this leak, and also this is a British government. Yes. There's no doubt, because Kip Klenberg, who's a reporter covered this stuff, and we spoke to him many times, showed that this is directly funded by the British government. Mm-hmm. The Integrity Initiative was this international alliance of people lying and spreading anti-Russian propaganda. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, and like you say, Bill Browder was right on the list. I didn't know Nina Jankowicz because no one knew who she was. Right. So we, I'm sure we saw her name and just whatever, another name. But let's play the first clip. We have a couple of clips from this Patreon special edition you did and help tell people where they can find it on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash crowdsource the truth or subscribestar.com slash crowdsource the truth, you can watch the whole entire 90 minute show. Okay, so let's play the first clip. Stopfake.org is uh, operating in Ukraine. And the highly reliable Washington Post tells us that uh, Nina Jankowicz is in Ukraine. She's a Fulbright Clinton public policy fellow in Ukraine, and uh, she's working for this stop fake. Now, obviously, somebody like Nina would be quite useful to stop fake. She speaks English and Ukrainian and Russian. And uh, she, oh, there is a stop fake YouTube channel in English. And uh, despite the fact that the extremely talented communications expert Nina Jankowicz works for them, and despite the fact that they have been on YouTube since 2014, isn't that interesting? What else happened in 2014? We'll explore 2014. That's when the Maidan revolution happened. But since 2014, this website or rather this YouTube channel, has not been able to garner more than two and a half thousand subscribers. And let's just look for Nina on here. Yeah, so she's... And that's the clip. Yeah. Yeah. She's working for that thing. You know, there's another portion to it. They operate, apparently, in the United States. I mean, they have that that YouTube channel projecting information into the United States, but they do not have an employee identification number. They have not registered in the United States. They aren't registered as a nonprofit in the United States. It's very troubling. There are other nonprofits that Nina seems to be receiving money from as well. Now, there are two hosts who do episodes that I've seen of Stop Fake. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the other hosts? No, I, I didn't know about it really. I mean, now that you're telling me, I mean, I remember you speaking about it, but I hadn't thought about it too much until I found Nina on there just a few days ago. Irina Chalupa. Whoa. Okay. I'm so glad we're now, talking I, now. Irina Chalupa, I originally mistakenly thought, was one of the Chalupa sisters, along with Alexander Chalupa, the Democratic operative who met with the Ukrainian embassy, and with Andrea Chalupa, her sister. Mm-hmm. I've come to find out, I found no connection between the Chalupas, but I'm I'm one of the odds. Right, it seems I have unusual. A feeling, 
Right. I have a feeling that Irina is their Ukrainian cousin. Something is like that, right. person who didn't come over. Mm-hmm. But she's the other host, Irina Shalupa mm-hmm. and Ninjanguis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a significant anti-Russian propaganda group. Yeah. Since 2014, which means mm-hmm. it was started in conjunction with the Medan Revolution. And you can bet. Go go ahead. No, no, no. You you can bet what? Finish, please. That there's some Soros or CIA connection. I would think. I haven't dug into it yet. Yeah, I haven't directly found that yet either. But uh, it does seem to be all over the place. Now, there's something else that I forgot to mention in the broadcast last night that I'll reveal here right now. So Nina... You know, she's a millennial. She's obviously uh, very educated, very into media and technology. She's been making websites and blogs, as many people her age have, since high school, it seems. She's into music and musical theater. Everybody knows about that. She started a blog while she was in Ukraine with this Clinton Fulbright Fellowship. And she makes commentary all over the place. I mean, uh, Twitter old Instagram accounts, et cetera. Uh, I, I'm, I, I mean, she might listen to this and delete the stuff, but whatever, we've got the Wayback Machine. She created a fitness blog after she noticed that her sedentary, studious lifestyle in Ukraine, coupled with the high fat and dairy content that she was eating, were causing her to gain weight, as many people do as they transition from their 20s to their 30s. So she started getting into yoga and Pilates, according to this blog that she had called like Sweating It with Nina or something like that. And uh, the blog has been removed. So I had to go to archive.org to look at it. And I know, Lee, you've done a lot of research on archive.org. I think our listeners are familiar with it. You put in a URL and it gives you this interface where across the top it shows you a timeline of, you know, years gone past. And it has a chart that indicates the times that copies of the particular website you're looking at have been captured. And sometimes these captures are very frequent, sometimes they're infrequent. I don't exactly know how the software that drives that archive.org website works when it decides to do a capture, but there is a remarkably conspicuous absence of activity on Nina's timeline from February until the end of March, 2014. And I wonder what she was doing in that time frame. And also, don't forget, Jason, it makes perfect sense, not just because she's a millennial, that she'd be into social media and tech. Because part of the organization that Hillary Clinton started with the State Department was Civil Society 2.0. Mm-hmm. Civil Society 2.0 was a part of the State Department that promoted social media. So the the Madan, what they were doing was they were using this fairly new technology, YouTube, Twitter, and so right. on. And so it makes sense that they get somebody in there who knows about that stuff. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned Twitter because, you know, the analysis that we've seen on television, whether it's CNN, Fox, MSNBC – 
specifically of the Elon Musk Twitter takeover that's been happening for several weeks and, and now has been put on hold. The analysis on all of these corporate-owned, advertiser-driven news, if we can call them that, channels, has been so incompetent, so simplistic, and so frankly wrong, I don't think it comes even close to understanding what's happening. It's my opinion, Lee, that Elon Musk is well aware that Twitter is not a social media platform. It is a social engineering platform. And this entire buyout, while I agree that he would like to own it, I don't think the number is going to be $44 billion. I think he knew that at the beginning. What he's doing right now is turning it upside down and shaking it out and seeing what hits the ground. And I support it so enthusiastically, I can barely find the words to describe. No, and I think it shows that um, among other things, he's a smart investor. Yeah. He's a smart investor. He's doing due diligence on this company. This company is claiming a certain user number, and they're right. claiming 5% of its bots. Right. And Elon's, and because part of the way Twitter makes its revenue is from imp what's called impression advertising. Mm -hmm. In other words, let's say you have a click-through ad on your website where someone clicks it and they go to a website. That's measurable. Yeah. Right? Yep. But let's say you have a, use a completely different form so people can understand what we're talking about. Let's say you have a billboard, right, on the mm -hmm. side of the road. Mm -hmm. There's no way to measure that. Yeah, right. Follow me? Well, but basically if you say, how many cars or something, yeah. Right. So the billboard, if you say... This is the busiest street in right. town. Right. And it turns out it's not the busiest street in town. You yeah. devalued what the billboard is worth yeah. because there's no way to measure it. And impression advertising is basically you see something go by on Twitter, Coca-Cola or whatever, yeah. and then you think of it. And yeah. Coca-Cola's in your brain. And Elon is is checking this because for a company that derives its revenue from impression advertising, having a lot of fake users is deadly. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not only deadly, it means, it's fraud. And he pointed that out, that the SEC filing, the Securities and Exchange Commission, filed by the CIO, CEO, made these claims and then when Elon Musk has asked Twitter justify these numbers, they're telling him they can't. And that it's so complex, they couldn't explain it yeah, to Elon like Musk. <laughs> it's a big too, too complicated for you, Elon. We need, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. And that's what they told him. And it I'm is. not joking. They told him it's too complex for us to explain to you. Yeah. So they're they're not wanting to fess up these numbers, but he's going to get these one way or another. Absolutely. And I think it's a very smart investor move, but also it points out the nature of Twitter. Let's play the second clip we have for you, Jason. Let's sure. play clip number two from a Patreon special on Neil Jenkins. <laughs> 
Welcome to Stop Fake, the place where we set the record straight on disinformation about Ukraine. I'm Fulbright Clinton fellow Nina Yankovich with Stop Fake's latest dissection of Russian alternate reality. This week's stories include Russian claims about the EU ending visa-free travel for Ukrainians because of the war in the Donbass, IMF requisitions 80% of Ukraine's gold reserves, and President Poroshenko advocates building a wall between Ukraine and the separatist-controlled enclave. So, let's get to the details. Last week, RT's Russian-language news site ran a story claiming that the European Union can rescind visa-free travel for Ukraine at any moment, if it so desires. Among the possible reasons for ending visa-free travel, which will begin in mid-June, RT names corruption, security concerns, particularly with regard to the war in eastern Ukraine, and illegal migration, especially what RT calls the ignorance of Ukrainians about border-crossing rules. Stopfake inquired whether it was possible for the EU to end visa-free travel for Ukrainians, and if so, under what conditions. David Stulik, the EU delegation to Ukraine press officer, told us that since the suspension of visas for Ukrainians has just been approved and the visa-free regime has not yet entered into force, speculating about its suspension is absolutely senseless. So there's some of Nina Yankovich. Yeah. Is that the way we're pronouncing it now? Well, that's what she I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned that, though, because to me, see, Lee, you've known a lot of the kind of people I'm about to describe. There are people in the world who are remarkably like they're ingenious, right? They may not have that much like Brad Carvey. I don't know what his level of education is, but you've described how even as a kid he was fixing the dishwasher. So there are some people that are just inherently super duper smart. And then there are people that are just dumb. And you can take a dumb person and educate them quite a lot. And they might know things, but they don't have this inherent ability to do problem solving, to think things through, and to make logical decisions. You can have a very educated idiot and a very intelligent person who hasn't had access to much education. And to me, Nina Jankowitz is an extremely educated moron. She sounds like someone who's had diction lessons and done a lot of probably high school debate class, and we know she's done musical theater and stuff, but there is an air of, you know, like this like saccharine kind of fake presentation to her that just turns my stomach. Yeah, and and I would say also, I was noticing without knowing these, and these are fantastic connections, Jay Singleman, great work. But I noticed early on that Nina Jankovic, Jankovic, whatever, (laughs) but that uh, she had a lot of connections to Ukraine. Yes. And that's no accident. Do you agree? I do agree. no accident. And there's a bombshell that we're going to reveal, I think, later today. That's kind of the main thing from the report last night. That should we, you tell me if and when we want to talk about that. Well, why don't you talk about it now? So, so Nina, let me let me just give a little setup here. Nina still maintains at least one active business that I've found called Sophia Consulting or uh, Sophia Strategies, and it's an LLC. 
which uh, is registered in Virginia. Now, I have not been able to find an EIN, an employer identification number. That is a essentially a social security number for a corporation. So if you want to open a bank account and receive payments and pay corporate taxes and things like that, you need an EIN. Now, accountants and other people who are more expert in particulars of LLCs have contacted me since I first started talking about this and told me that there are certain regulations and certain types of LLCs where if it's a sole proprietor and a single employee, you can do it without an EIN and pay yourself directly. So that's that's a piece of it that we still need to unwind. But whether it's being paid to the corporation or directly to Nina, this is a functioning active company that shows a short list of clients, one of which is the Center for uh, Information Resilience, I believe it's called, which is a British nonprofit. There's a Canadian nonprofit in there. I want to look at what potential connections there might be with Christia Freeland. But the point is, she's being paid by these foreign companies uh, several thousand dollars in, in certain instances, and she's working for the U.S. government. So I, I don't know about you, Lee, and I don't know exactly what the law is, but I thought that people who work for our government cannot be paid by foreign entities without registering under FARA and explaining all that. But in further exploring this website of hers, it's a beautifully created website. Obviously not done. Like you look at my websites, it's just me sitting there with GoDaddy web, web builder and I don't claim to be a web expert. Her website clearly was put together by an expert web designer. The photography is absolutely beautiful, clearly coming from a professional photographer. And there was this one photo of Nina in what looked like a very sophisticated control room. I don't even know why I was motivated to do this, but I downloaded it from her website and I looked at it in Adobe Bridge, which, as you know, is a tool that allows you to examine the metadata of photographs. And in there, it gave me uh, the date, location of the photograph, the title of the photograph, and the name of the photographer who I've since spoken to. The picture was taken inside Z Commanda, which is Zelensky's uh, – it was described to me as Zelensky's – uh, campaign headquarters, but I believe it is more than that, Lee. I believe that Z Commanda is a hashtag that is used for Zelensky operatives to transmit essentially clandestine communications. It's a form of steganographic messaging, where if you put that Z Commanda hashtag on something, other people who are involved with Z Commanda can find your information easily, and people like you and I see that and have no idea what it is, somebody's name, whatever. But the point is Nina is inside Zelensky's campaign headquarters during the election. She's posting nothing but positive messages about Zelensky. She's working for a Ukrainian nonprofit. She's on the list of this British information integrity program, you know, she's getting all this money from all these foreign entities. And now she's a part of the U.S. government determining what U.S. citizens like you and I can or cannot say. She's crippling the First Amendment. And we've got her right there inside Zelensky's campaign headquarters on election day, stumping for Zelensky. How is this an impartial person? And of course, I've always said, going back to my reporting on Russiagate, the involvement of people like Christopher Steele 
and Richard Dearlove, who are part of British intelligence, is not accidental. Russiagate was largely a British operation. And this shows it again. Right. And Russiagate was a continuation of the anti-Russian propaganda. And even the Medan 2014 was part of an was part of an anti-Russian operation that started years before, back before right. with Bill Browder and the Magnitsky Act in 2012. And it, it comes down to funding by Mikhail Khodorkovsky. And I've always said that, and this is again showing, and who's, by the way, an exile in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would, slightly differ in your conclusion in that, yes, it was executed through British intelligence, but I believe that that was done. I think this is a globalist operation where American citizens, British citizens, Ukrainian citizens, people who consider themselves, as Nina may, citizens of the world. You know, she's living in Ukraine, going to yoga classes, doing her blog. You know, she may feel, hey- they consider herself part of the British Empire, but right. it's a British operation. Kordakovsky connects directly to Jacob Rothschild. It is a globalist operation, but it's British globalism. When you talk about globalism, I don't think you can discuss it, except for the, the, the city of London is banking central for the world of globalism. But True. fantastic, we'll be talking more about this later. Coming up on the show, our great friend Tyler Nixon about to bring it right after this on The Backstory. Back on the backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now is our good friend Tyler Nixon, geopolitical analyst, American politics analyst, and deadhead. And I mentioned that for a reason. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Hey, Tyler. Gentlemen. Hi. Once again, I have the honor of being on not only with the great Lee Stranahan, but the great Jason Goodman. I have to say, Jason, that I fell out laughing. It, it, you're just a genius with these interviews, with the call to Nina. <laughs> exposed her as just the sort of prickly, uh, never wants to be held accountable, doesn't want to answer questions, everything's scripted, and you yeah. put them on the spot and they get, uh, you know, who who are you with again? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was great. Yep. No, really wonderful. Uh, I just, um, I can't, I can't praise you enough for that. And that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I wanted to mention, I mentioned the deadhead part because I often do, but because I'm in favor of it. But a fellow deadhead, Tucker Carlson, he, you're friends with Tucker. You speak to him sometimes. What happened to Tucker Carlson? This horrible shooting in Buffalo. Tucker Carlson, they immediately jumped in on Tucker. And they're trying to destroy him because... They're afraid of him. They don't want him talking about the topics he talks about, like immigration. And I heard Tucker's show last night. And I, you know him better than I do. But I, I know Tucker a little better. I've talked to him before. 
But he was talking last night in his show. And tell me what you know about Tucker. He seemed to really believe it. He referred to racism repeatedly as immoral. And I think Tucker means it. I think he really finds it objectionable, any form of racism, because it ignores a person's individuality and looks at surface characteristics. And anti-Semitism is a form of racism. But any form of any form of racism, I think he thinks it's immoral to look at somebody's skin color or hair color or whatever and judge them on that basis. And I think he's, he profoundly believes it. Is that what you know about Tucker Carlson, Tyler? Yes, absolutely. No, he, I mean, he's uh, Tucker with Tucker. What you see is what you get. And I think that, uh, you know, first of all, I, he thinks racism is, a, is abhorrent. Um, but I also think he thinks it's just stupid. It's just very, uh, um, yeah, superficial and lacking any sort of, I mean, any discernment It's it's just unrefined. Um, and it's just, it's just an easy shortcut for people who have hatred or animus, um, to, you know, whatever, to target the other, so to speak. I mean, uh, you know, he definitely, and that's intrinsic with him. He doesn't have, I don't think he has a, a malicious or racist bone in his body whatsoever. And, uh, the thing about it is what I think really Infuri- uh, infuriates or as much as uh, confounds uh, the left, uh, you know, hate brigades with their um, uh, you know, defamation, their attempts at defamation and to, to launch against anybody who is particularly as prominent as Tucker is that Tucker has never been a partisan. He has never, he comes directly, you know, a straight line as a journalist going back to having been on MS. He's the only uh, journalist of that prominence I know who was at a show on CNN MSNBC and now Fox uh, and still indoors and is still, uh, you know, really prominent, obviously. And the thing is, any, anybody you find who's at that level on some, I mean, they, they are partisans in some le- on some level in their past, their track record, if not in the, in the case of the revolving door with a lot of these Democratic operatives, uh, you know, they're directly, directly having worked for, uh, you know, the, the political party or candidate. Um, and particularly with it on the uh, Democrat side, I mean, it's just really egregious how they uh, this pretense that these these absolute partisan hacks and operatives that just suddenly become talk shows like a la Jen Psaki, you know, soon to have her little MSNBC show uh, are somehow the truth tellers or somehow the moderators of the truth are somehow any in any way objective, factual journalists, whereas Tucker is and always has been. Now, I mean, granted, he definitely is as his opinions, but he's never been an, necessarily an opinion journalist. He just, you know, I think he thinks to to some extent that conservatism uh, and libertarianism, as you know, a subset of that, are just more consistent with reality and with the truth, and are more uh, um, realistic. And frankly. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not, there's nothing utopian about them as you find with our friends on the left. Um, and I think that they, they don't know how to really go after him because he's also a happy warrior. He's someone who, who, you know, he laughs at the idiocy. He doesn't get enraged. He's never very rarely have ever, ever seen him get hot, te- uh, you know, hot under the collar, lose his temper. Uh, you know, just, I think there's maybe one interview where this sort of supercilious, uh, leftist twat was, was just boring in on him on nonsense. And he's like, you know what, this interview's over and, and just ended it. He didn't, he didn't bash the guy, but 
what he does is he also, in his sort of uh, almost satirical way, is able to puncture the hypocrisy and the incoherence and the lunacy that is the mainstream, uh, you know, radical left right now. Mainstream radical, it's kind of a oxymoron, but yeah, no, I think they and and they hate him. I mean, they really do because uh, he's very popular. His show is extremely uh, highly rated, and he reaches people who are, don't feel like, oh, I'm listening to some unhinged partisan. Uh, you know, the person he replaced, uh, you know. Previously, as sort of that that main figure, Bill O'Reilly was the opposite. I mean, that guy was hot-headed, and and I, he was very much an establishment partisan. Um, and I think that one thing also that Tucker uh, really just sort of gets under their skin about is that one would expect, like O'Reilly, that he would hew to some level of the establishment line, whether that be the GOP establishment or just generally the Washington establishment. I mean, O'Reilly talked about all oh, the folks and he was Mr. come across as Mr. Populist, but he basically endorsed effectively all of the mainstream uh, establishment stuff that when it came down the wars and so forth. Whereas Tucker is, comes out of that establishment, uh, you know, nom- nominally at least. I mean, he, he grew up and, and uh, through it, I mean, from the days of his wearing his bow tie and being uh, a writer for what was, was he national review or I'm trying to remember. He's, we, he did a few, he didn't do a lot. Weekly standard. Okay. Right. He, he wasn't a, a prolific writer. In fact, he told me he, he detests having to write uh, particularly a book. I mean, he, he, he dreads whenever he, uh, the, the chore comes around. Um, but uh, that being said, you know, he, he, they can't, they can't again, pin him to any partisan sect. Um, and so the fact is he's but but he he bucks the establishment. He bucks the establishment within the Republican Party within uh, the Washington, larger Washington, D.C. Uh, political culture and establishment. And that's just, you know, they, they don't really. And he's got the credentials and sort of the objectivity to do it. And I, I think they're just they, they're going to keep trying to come after him. And, and it's but but it seems like it's almost like he has this Reagan-esque quality about him where anything they try to do to uh, either lampoon him or portray him as what he is not, such as a racist, just doesn't, it comes across as just ridiculous. I mean, it comes across as flat, it comes across as nasty, and it just doesn't stick. Nobody is gonna believe in their minds and hearts that a Tucker Carlson is some kind of white supremacist or racist. There's just no evidence anywhere. It's only in the delusional uh, fabrications of leftist zealots do you get that sort of uh, ability to stretch that far? And I think people would say to themselves, well, geez, if they think Tucker's a racist, then he certainly must think I am and everybody I know. So, you know, it's just, it, it, they're, they're really, uh, they're shooting blanks against him. Um, and I think if they, if they do get a round off, he's the Teflon guy. Well, and, and I think Tucker is probably, and I think you may fit in his category too, Tyler, and you as well, Jason. I consider myself a parse. Did I lose you guys? Yeah, I'm Hello? I'm here. Would it be lose Lee? A partisan Lee said. Well, I mean, look, I've got my opinions for sure. Uh, okay. Are you back, Lee? I, I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I was yeah, saying that I hate the Democratic Party. Right. I hate the Democratic <laughs> Party. I think they are an absolutely fascist, radical, dangerous political party. Right. I'm 100% sure on that. I hate the Democrats, but I can't rah-rah about the Republicans. I wish I could. I wish I loved the Republican Party, but I see the problems. I don't think the problems are anywhere near as bad 
I, no, I would agree. I mean, uh, and, and I don't know if we lost Lee again, but uh, I, I personally did battle within within the GOP establishment. Probably did but, more but like battles. Like you said, they're too utopian. No, absolutely. Well, yeah, utopian yes, so, so, on the surface, but then, but then in reality, they're just oh yeah, no, they're utopian on the surface, but on the, in the reality is that they're cynical. They are uh, absolutely just degenerate in so many ways in terms of degenerating the political climate. They are uh, literally uh, operate off of a um, sort of uh, any means necessary, whatever it takes, and in this notion that they can. Uh, they can commit crimes. They can uh, commit all sorts of foul deeds and nasty, um, uh, nasty acts and, and plots and schemes because they're somehow the, the better uh, people. Uh, they some they have this false moral supremacy notions in their heads that's just it's it's ridiculous and they can justify anything with that. And as we've seen, they they will they will do anything. And and really, as I said, the Democratic Party is not. It's not a party. It's a criminal cartel at this point. Well, and Nina Yankovich personifies what you're describing. This Absolutely. moral intellectual superiority where I'll tell you what's information and what's disinformation, and I'll get you kicked off of Twitter with the click of a button. Yeah, it's, it's censorship for thee, but not for me. Uh, and, and look, I mean, you can only get away with censorship or, excuse me, hypocrisy. Uh, for so long, I should say, not censorship. Well, that too, but I mean, the, the hypocrisy is so obvious with these folks. I mean, this it, it's it, it really is almost like they wouldn't have, uh, they wouldn't be able to speak if or they wouldn't be able to have put out their agenda if it weren't just absolutely hypocritical in every way you can imagine. And it's like they and then the other thing is this: uh, in addition to the moral superiority, they believe they have intellectual superiority, and they think people are stupid. They really think. This view that they have, this demented uh, view, uh, warped view of Republicans, of conservatives, of libertarians, that they're, oh, these are racist, whatever, mouth-breathing troglodytes. They actually believe that, and and it's their it's their probably their big biggest Achilles heel because they totally underestimate not only their opponents but also I think generally the ability of the American public uh, to, in the you know at least the engaged public and the, the voting public to to basically get onto and understand or to, to see the BS they're trying to constantly push. And because the, the timelines of their self-contradictions and their incoherence have, are so compressed anymore with the fast news cycle, it's like literally a few weeks later, they're, they're contradicting exactly what they said. And we saw this especially through the, uh, the, the, faux, the, the scamdemic, the plandemic. Um, and I just think they just go along, and that's why I think they're increasingly becoming nasty and ruthless is because they realize their BS isn't working anymore. You know, and to your point, back on the Tucker Carlson topic, the thing that I've been hearing in the corporate-owned, advertiser-driven news the most about this Buffalo shooting is that the shooter was talking about this white race replacement theory and that Tucker Carlson had mentioned this, but it's – really conspicuous how they are amplifying that point and not saying anything about, or rather I should say actively suppressing the fact that the shooter had a Black Sun logo on his body armor as he was walking around the supermarket killing people, which is uh, the logo of the Azov Battalion, and they completely deny that. Yeah, I, I, and the sense or the suppression of this 
has has gone to such an extent that as I understand, I read, I don't know if it was a comment thread, I forget where I saw it, but someone commented that they had this guy's manifesto simply right. parked, saved on their Google Drive. They hadn't shared it. It was available only to them and it was deleted by by Google off their drive. I mean, that's chilling. Like you'd think, okay, fine, you want to share if you share something publicly, that's one thing. But for them to go into your your Google Drive, which and what are presumably uh, if you if you choose not to share them, your own private files, private, you know, to the extent that they're not shared with others. But obviously, Google doesn't see it that way and is willing to delete them. Uh, I mean, this is yeah, no, it's it's it, there and the way they jumped all over it. Uh, the media just couldn't uh, Rolling Stone, like as if we should get our, our political opinions from Rolling Stone. I get my political opinions from Rolling Stone to the extent that I want to get my musical taste from politicians, frankly. Um, but they had this, you know, immediately trying to portray the Republican. This confirms the Republican, uh, you know, the middle of the Republican Party, this main Republican is all racist. And this it's just, again, trying to exploit the narrative in their direction and to exploit a horrible, disgusting tragedy. I mean, if I don't know if you I unfortunately stumbled into watching the first like 30 seconds of that of this guy's film. And it was just I mean, I was enraged and, and totally sickened at the same time. How did you um, even see and, that? It's been deleted all over the place. Uh, I don't know, dare I say it. Um, there's a uh, a podcast that's uh, on Infowars. Well, it's it, it's a channel that I guess Alex added to the to the sort of the the role. It's called Come and Get It, and it's a uh, uh, a black gentleman who basically is his big thing is is uh, being prepped for. Uh, using firearms to be, you know, be prepared to conceal carry, being proficient with firearms so you can defend yourself. I mean, it seems to be a big, but anyway, it's called Come and Get It. And he does this podcast and two minutes into it, and you can find it there on Infowars, like the most recent one, um, he shows the video and I was like, wow, I was shocked. I mean, there was yeah. no like, and it was, it was not like blurred out or anything. I mean, I was really like, un, I mean, I was unsettled. It was awful. I mean, mm. this, 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 this guy's a monster. And you know what? It makes me wonder what is behind this person because to get out and to immediately begin shooting people when you've never done this before, you have no experience at this. You've never, I mean, I guess maybe they psych themselves up or they're, but I mean, well, video <laughs> games, right? So, I mean, the thing looks like a first yeah. person shooter. Well, but, but there's one other thing I wanted to ask you because I don't know how much publicity what I'm about to discuss has gotten outside of New York, but you know, the Supreme Court right now for the past several months has been deliberating about an opinion that would introduce constitutional carry in New York, including New York City. And the talking points coming from Kathy Hochul and all of the, you know, New York politicians yesterday were not, hey, you know, it's weird that the FBI knows all these crazy guys before they shoot the place up. And it's weird that his yeah. teachers and his friends and everybody knew this guy was a nut, but everybody let him stockpile all these guns. They don't say that. And they don't say we really need to revisit mental health and we shouldn't be locking everybody down and medicating everybody and doing all that. You know, we really need to look into that. It just right away, it goes to, you know, we need to take away the guns. This has all got to do yeah. Oh, yeah. with guns. They always, yeah, it's always, I mean, every mass shooting, it's the, the latest call for, uh, and it, it makes me wonder at times, it really makes me wonder what's behind. I mean, if not active involvement, say like an MK Ultra situation, certainly this guy threatened 
a school shooting. I mean, I, I, they should have been all over him. I mean, if this is the joke, it's right. like they almost feel like until we get the guns banned and taken away from the citizenry, yeah. we're just going to let people like this fester and, and, you know, so be it. And it's just, it's, it's awful because the, it, it's, I mean, these innocent people are dying when this guy could have been monitored, should never have been able to purchase a gun after making that threat or should have been on a list where he's monitored. I mean, to, you know, I, I don't know. I, Look, I think we have the rights, but I think when you have people who are in these instances ex- manifest and, and then, I mean, look, they're surveilling the hell out of everybody else. I mean, you right. can't, you know, Roger Stone, uh, Alex Jones, anybody who dares question the election, I'm sure, is on lists. Yet these crazies, these people who are totally unhinged, young, you know, in, in school, uh, the same went for the Florida, um, the, uh, gosh, the Marjorie, what, I forget the name of the, the, the high school oh, yeah. uh, that was shot up in. Yeah and, yeah, and it was the same thing. This guy had been visited dozens of times, something like that, by law enforcement, and yeah. they just they just never did anything about it. And it's like because they dare. I mean, it's again, you don't want to like lock people up and, and expose their sort of if they ever having mental problems or uh, you know have mental issues. But at the same time, when they're threatening, when they make threats and and they ideate violence of that sort, they should be monitored absolutely without question on a constant basis and it should well, be uh, you know what about the family shouldn't the family have yeah, some no, obligation i mean i don't know we need the government to do this but they're saying his teachers his parents the community if you know there is a violent crazy person in your community and you know he's got a bunch of guns what are the parents doing why are they you know i don't think we need to clamp everybody down because we've got two parents of a mentally ill person who are unable to you know i don't want to jump to conclusions as far as what is going on here but that's where it's got to start and they certain states and i'm not saying i advocate these laws but certain states have these red flag laws where a member of your family can go to the cops and say hey my son my brother my whatever is crazy and has all these guns and he's posting on social media that he's going to shoot up the school come and do something yeah well, at least at least get well, an evaluation. And Lund person has been involved with this kid before. Yeah. So, didn't stop yeah, so it would have been it would have been out of nowhere. They right. knew about him. It, it's a, right. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy, you know, sort of a, um, a basically how I, the left wants this sort of deviancy to be normalized, you know. Where people can be as wacky and as weird and as way out there and you know pierced and like you know the, the whole on the whole gender thing yeah. and I think unfortunately what they've done is in their their mania to to uh, suppress to shout down to condemn anybody who dares say wait a minute this is weird you know this is just bizarre it's 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 not healthy um, that people are somewhat cowed or or, or reserved against when they see someone who's like really strange and, and, um, you know, weird and, and even maybe to the point of, of expressing sort of violent tendencies that they don't want to, they don't want to necessarily jump in and be like, this guy's a nut, you know, he's out of control or whatever. And, and I think that they've, you know, this is almost a a creature of the leftist, uh, so-called tolerance, which is not tolerance at all. It's just basically, uh, pushing, um, you know, degeneracy, pushing all this weirdness, um, which, you know, I'm not condemning anybody for being all, you know, different or weird, but I mean, I think there's a lot of these people who are mentally ill, uh, particularly you see it coming out on this abortion issue. But I, I'm reminded though, you've, it's funny you say, Jason, of the, the old Saturday Night Live skit um, where Buckwheat has been shot. I don't know if you ever saw that. And they catch the, they catch the assassin played by, of course, Eddie Murphy as well. And he's 
John David Stutz, and they go around to all these people. His he knew like his tailor, and he says, "Oh, he was a nice boy. You know, he'd come in. Do you think he shot buckwheat? Oh, yes, of course. It's all he ever <laughs> talked about." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so you know, it's kind of kind of like that, I guess, these days. I think people are unsure what to do, but I think they need to wake up and say, if it, not not be timid, not be reserved, and feel like, oh, gee, maybe I'm maybe I'm hurting this person, or they're just they're just strange, they're just uh, uh, eccentric when when they get to the level of violence, certainly, um, you know, which the left seems to also, again, normalize for their own side as they see fit with the, you know, rioting, whatever, as long as you're, uh, you know, for the right cause, it's all good. And, but the specious way they try pin on Tucker. So there's nothing connecting this gunman to Tucker. He didn't mention Tucker. He didn't say watch Tucker. Tucker. In fact, he said he hated Fox news. And Fox News mm-hmm. thought Fox News was out to get him. And to tie this replacement theory that apparently the government didn't mention, but to tie that into Tucker, plenty of people have talked about replacement theory. And Tucker never said, replacement theory makes me so mad I want to go out and shoot people. There's nothing tying Tucker into it. But what they're obviously trying to do ahead of the selection, and this is the other headline today, in the past day, the Biden approval rate is 38% right now. This is the NBC <laughs> poll. 38%. It's, yes, and I was surprised it was that high. It's but tracking it's the with worst, the Twitter stock price. <laughs> but, but it's the first approval rating for a president. It's worse than Trump ever had. Yeah. And they know electoral disaster awaits them. They need to get people's minds off immigration. They need to keep people from talking about immigration. And the fact that there's a million people down the southern border coming across every year. Huge numbers. And speaking of which, Tyler, what do you make of the news yesterday that Biden is going to have a permanent troop presence in Somalia. Do you think we need another front in America's wars? And what are we doing fighting terrorism in Somalia? We say, they say it's just gonna be a training mission. That was like Afghanistan was a training mission and it's open-ended. But are you frightened that they're genuine of another conflict to get us into? Yeah, or or just mission creep where we're just dumping, just having a, a permanent posting there. We're dumping billions of dollars down the tubes because these 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 uh, as we know that with Afghanistan and certainly Iraq, that these are uh, sort of clearing houses for corruption of uh, for for you know fraud and waste, fraud and abuse of taxpayer money where they just it goes down the black hole. And it's spent and, and people, you know, certain contractors, certain people get rich or, or their, their nests are feathered and and nobody questions it. You know, nobody can go in and, and really put the scrutiny, scrutiny on it because it's supposedly, well, we need to peacekeep there, whatever the hell. I mean, I think, again, being the global police uh, policeman, being the uh, 
insinuator, the 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 controller, sort of the overarching um, power, the hegemonic power, as it were, based on military force and intervention. It's just it's just doomed to fail, and it's costing us uh, so dearly that I mean we're just it's going to bankrupt us if it hasn't already. We we already are bankrupt. I mean let's face it, uh, you know the the deficit uh, the the debt excuse me is beyond belief out of control, and I can't even believe they're raising interest rates now because this is going to impact the, the existing debt to the point it's going to eat up more of whatever budget they have to uh, of which they're also printing more and more i mean it's just it's cr- totally out of control uh, i would like to just quickly say um that this uh, just to close the loop on what we were talking about that you know this this dishonesty like you mentioned this selectively reporting things and thinking that they can just get away with these short term uh you know s- scams basically these short term lies uh is it, just it, I've always said about the geo, uh, the double standard that exists, where Democrats can get away with murder and Republicans can't do anything, even uh, and even legal stuff is portrayed as as criminal or whatever is immoral, unethical, etc. Is that in doing this over years and years, it's sort of almost the Hegelian uh, dialectic in a sense of like you know having multiple ideas or multiple competing. Uh, um, forces within the political or cultural landscape and you know eventually the stronger emerges and i think that they don't realize that all they have done is hone our game repeatedly to anticipate not only their tactics but also to live up to the supposed standard that they are holding or that they claim to live up to that they are trying to hold us to which is a far you know greater standard than anything they actually adhere to much less uh you know uh, would would preach and Look, I mean, like I said, they do us a favor because we have to we have to meet that. I think Donald Trump kind of broke that a little bit, gave them a sort of in because of his just absolutely bare knuckle brawling style. But it's about time, uh, you know, that I think um, the, the public, I think, notices the difference between Republicans who sort of when they when they're portrayed or called racist, they're called this and that. And it's just totally inconsistent with the reality that everybody who's paying attention anybody's paying attention has seen for the last, you know, 10, 20, whatever, 50 years. And it's just, I think, I think they're at the end of their, their, their bag of tricks um, has been overused so many times that this is where it gets, we're in this dangerous period where they're just going to go full authoritarian and they're just going to, you know, it's no longer worrying about trying to convince the public of anything. They're just going to actively suppress, persecute, target, whatever, anybody who's opposed to the regime. And the I agree. And also, also, they want people stupid. I got into it with, on Twitter with someone who said, you should be defending Tucker. Tucker praised Kyle Rittenhouse as it's after Buffalo shooting. And I've said, what the hell does Kyle Rittenhouse have to do with the Buffalo shooting? Hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse, who killed white people who were trying to kill him in self-defense. Yeah. Self-defense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And was acquitted and the, by his jury. I mean, praise. my God. And then I did a poll yeah, absolutely. on Twitter, and I said, did Kyle Rittenhouse kill black people? And 20% of people who answered my poll said yes. <laughs> I think a lot of Republic, yeah, wow. a lot of Democrats believe Kyle Rittenhouse killed black people. Which yeah, I don't understand. Ignorance, ignorance and confusion yeah, are the, the, the primary sort of tools or, or uh, weapons at, yeah, of the left. I mean, they rely on it. Stupidity, right. ignorance, yeah. confusion. That's why they hate facts and evidence. They like narratives. So what is the state of exactly. narrative? What is the proposed purpose of why we are even in Somalia? And, and think of that, just that term. 
you don't you can't discern reality and facts for yourself. You have to have it narrated to you. Yeah. And the disinformation board will tell you what is fact and what is disinfo. But what what are they saying? Why do they want to be uh, Somalia is the place where the last time we were there our soldiers were dragged through the streets. It's a totally <laughs> lawless out of control whole. But I mean, to me, the United States going around the world and saying, oh, we'll, we'll straighten out your screwed up country is like <laughs> a drunk person laying in the street trying to explain to you what you're doing wrong in your job. It, yeah. It's like, don't tell me what I'm doing until you get your deal straightened out. Yeah. It's like the bum in the street, uh, you know, threadbare clothes telling you how to win at blackjack in Vegas, you know? Right, oh, really? Right. Thank They've you. They've got advice for you. <laughs> this person knows. Really. So why is the United States, Lee, saying we want to be in Somalia. When I read that yesterday, I was like, what? They didn't give any explanation. I watched the Pentagon press conference yesterday. Wow. Wow. No explanation was just, given. Yeah. Just wow. distraction. So broke. It's distraction. It's uh, diversion. But we're broke. This country's falling apart. Violence daily. Major cities just coming unglued each day. And, and we're at the top of the hour, so we have to end it, Jason. Yeah. And Tyler Nixon, great appearance as always. Thanks so much for coming I'm gonna on. I'm going to do it you guys. Thank you. Take care, Tyler. When we come back, more of the backstory. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320, on the backstory. empire of lies, an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast barren wasteland that is the Biden administration. This is the backstory. Joined by guest co-host Jason Goodman, who's presenting some amazing material on Nina Yankovic. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and great appearance by Tyler. It's, it's fun to have Tyler on, isn't it? Yeah, Jason? yeah. No, it is. And I mean, he raises so many good points. I don't understand why we're going to Somalia. It seems like a terrible idea. Yes, but that's. But why not? <laughs> the Biden administration has not met a war it doesn't like. Well, and now also, coming up this hour, mean, Ted Rawl. And yes. we're taking your calls 202 521 1320. This is the backstory. Now, Jason, we're talking about Tucker Carlson, mm. but I'm a big believer in the the perfect is the enemy of the good. Right. By which, if you you can find something to criticize about anybody, yeah, that's my belief. And I didn't want to because he knows him. I didn't want to beat up on Tucker. Too much, but we're going to play a clip now. We had Jim Hoft on yesterday, mm -hmm. and we talked about this Dinesh D'Souza film, 2,000 Mules. Yeah. And because people are talking about it, and we're a free speech zone, Fox will not play anything about 2,000 Mules. Wow. Now, I don't, I, I haven't seen it. I know Kathy Engelbrecht, she's one of the people behind it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they have some, some compelling stuff in there. But yeah. I, me talking about the film is not endorsing it. It's me acknowledging that it exists. 
Right. Right? Yeah. We could also but, praise it and have criticisms of it at the same time and say, hey, this is done really well in this aspect. Why did they do this or that or the other thing? Not talking about it. I mean, they're obviously trying to deny its existence. And what we're going to play here is a clip from Dinesh Souza, the filmmaker, talking about a text message he had with Tucker Carlson. So oh. let's play that clip. I have mended fences with Tucker. I have no problem with Tucker. We both emphasize we're on the same side. We're fighting for the same cause. And so I'm all good with Tucker right now. And that tweet to that degree is obsolete. It's been fixed. Now, the broader point, though, is true. To this date, the movie's been out two weeks. There's not a single person at Fox, to my knowledge. Now, I kind of slipped through, and I was on Fox Business on Larry Kudlow's show. But I think that was literally a case where I kind of, without anybody noticing. Uh, but what's happened is none of the major hosts at Fox has uttered the phrase 2,000 mules. Think about it. This is probably one of the main things being talked about on the right. This issue, as you know, is huge. It has continued to haunt the American mind. We are offering new types of evidence. Now, Fox got into trouble for making certain statements about machines and they're being sued by Dominion. But my point is, and you've seen the movie, we don't really discuss that. We don't talk about the machines. In no way are we going to increase Fox's legal liability. In fact, on the contrary, Fox can go to court and say, listen, if we were mistaken about the machines, we were not mistaken about, about the fact that there was fraud. So a journalistic enterprise can get things wrong, but we were on the right track. So the movie, in a weird way, helps them and helps them legally. So, And I also don't think any news organization should take dictation from lawyers, because lawyers are basically going to operate on a... They will take a completely legitimate story and say, you can't cover it because it's going to expose us to legal liability. How can a so-called news organization ignore a massive news story that is on the minds of its own audience. You say don't take advice from lawyers. I say if there's reluctance to address your documentary, it's because they're taking advice from their corporate overlords and advertisers and sponsors, and then they're taking orders from PR teams that don't want to have to answer a bunch of questions. Fear runs rampant, and so the, I, I guess, and again, I know you're not, you've clarified you're not beefing with Tucker Carlson, but you can see how Tucker and others are trying to walk a delicate line of not further pissing off their corporate advertisers. Now, again, I'm not dissing Tucker either. I think Fox, people need to be realistic about it. I've said it many times. And you know what's absurd? I see what? a lot of haters, Democrats, who hate Fox, who say Fox is a Russian asset. Have no. you seen that? I mean, maybe, but that's the most ignorant people. That's totally not what it is. So Fox sponsored the Magnitsky Act. Right. Sponsor puts... Fox puts Bill Browder on. Right, all the time. And give him softball questions. But they're literally, News Corp was a sponsor of the anti-Russian Magnitsky Act. Mm -hmm. That's not a Russian asset. Well, and but, remember, there's that photograph of Rupert Murdoch in the Kremlin with, who's that football owner that got jammed up in the prostitution thing? He's giving sure Putin the Super Bowl ring. And the thing is, Fox and the news in the United States reported Putin stole the ring. 
And Putin said, what the hell are you talking about? The guy gave it to me. But that was the story. And if you look at the picture, first of all, what is Rupert Murdoch doing going meeting with Putin and a football dude? And everybody is there like, oh, my God, we're meeting a world leader. And they're all looking at him like, wow, I'll remember this day forever. And Murdoch is looking right at the ring as Putin is putting it on his finger. And, you know, Lee, I do think pictures tell a thousand words. And Rupert Murdoch was remarkably fixated on that ring for some reason. Nobody else there was. Weird. Yeah. And so and, and also through Gene Energy. Yeah. The energy company that has the rights to oil and the Golan Heights. Right. Rupert Murdoch is directly connected to Jacob Rothschild. Isn't he on the board of Genie Energy? Yes, with Jacob Rothschild. And well, let me ask you this, though, because also Fox has a ton of advertising from Mike Lindell, or maybe they did at one point. What has Mike Lindell said about 2,000 mules? He was, you know, big on this election integrity thing. I don't know. I haven't heard him say anything think, about it. Right. And I I think Mike, you and I agree, I think that Mike Lindell is a distraction. Oh, and he I has been he, a distraction. Yeah. And I, I think, think intentionally a distraction. I think he's worse, yeah, I think he's worse than a distraction. I think he's a social engineer who's trying to fool people and sell pillows while doing it. Tarif, you're on the line. What's on your mind today, buddy? Hey, Tarif. Thank you for, take, thank you for taking my call, Lee. Um, first, I like to say free journal signs. I have uh, some comments that I like to make. Bloomberg stated that the, the U.S. is talking about stopping Russia from paying their bonds, bills, um, and they might do that May the twenty first. For Financial Times is saying that it's NATO U.S. is if they um, go ahead and freeze. The work Russian assets that's going to cause financial rules in the future. You have the uh, troops in the Severodonsk and Lenchitnitz region in eastern Ukraine in the northern part of the quadrant that's been encircled. There are um, 16,000 Ukrainian troops in that particular part of eastern Ukraine and the Baz region is, uh, is being encircled. In the next coming weeks, it's going to be hell for them. You might see a lot of, you know, dead or in surrender. Ukrainian troops uh, might um, start getting um, <clears throat> uh, taken out by Russian artillery. The um, Putin was talking about what was going on dealing with the European crisis, dealing with the um, high energy prices and things like that. Russia is talking about also making Europe, you know, pay for rubles for the oil now in the, in the near future. Not just gas, but for the oil. And um, my last one is, it seems like the Syrian military is, is report that the Syrian military have, have been um, given permission to use the S-300 PMU in Syria, which is now they're using against Israel. Before... Russia was in control of them. It was telling them not to use it. But it seemed like Syria is starting to use the S-300 system, which will change things now. So, yeah, that's it. That's my, um, I don't know if I had another comment. I think that's it. Yeah, that, that's about it. Thank you all for taking it. Good call, Drew. Yeah, as Thanks, usual. Yeah. Never a good punch there. 
Now, I want to talk about the Mariupol situation because yeah. that started to break yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's over. Those troops have surrendered. The final troops that for a month now have been in the catacombs, they haven't even been fighting in Mariupol, really. They've been restrictions in one area. They mm-hmm. surrendered. And that's continued throughout the day. Now, did you notice the way the media reported? Well, that's what I was going to say, is that other than, you know, Sputnik and, you know, things that you and I are more likely to be looking at, NBC News, CNN, even Fox, they're, everybody, well, no, Fox, I think, did call it a surrender, but they're not using the word surrender. They're saying that Zelensky withdrew them, that their operation in Azovstal plant is over. And they are not using the word surrender. They continue to push the story that somehow Russia is failing. Yeah, evacuating, right. Yes. But I noticed this narrative, it wasn't just the soldiers to surrender. The narrative failed immediately. When the New York Times had a headline that said these troops surrendered, all the comments on Twitter were people saying they didn't, they didn't <laughs> evacuate. They, yeah. Forgive me. New York Times said they evacuated. Right. They said they didn't evacuate. Literally every comment was no, they surrendered. Because yeah. that's what happened. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's what happened. They didn't stop fighting and decide to take a breather. That right. didn't happen. So the narrative immediately fell apart. And you, I, it's a joke. I think they actually are embarrassing those troops and Ukraine. They're pointing out that Ukraine can't tell the truth, even when they surrender. And what's happened is there's some people who are Marines who are over there, Ukrainian Marines, regular soldiers. They're going to be put in a regular POW camp. Mm -hmm. Then there's some people were part of the Azov Battalion, who've been committing war crimes for eight years. They're going to face war crimes trials. Then there's other NATO advisors and other sundry mercenaries. They are going to be taken to Moscow. Uh And they're going to be used as bargaining chips for other high-profile prisoners or something like that. But Russia is going to get to the bottom of who was in there. Now, don't forget, the next thing that's going to happen is now that the catacombs are cleared, Russia can go in on a recon mission and try to find biolabs, right? Right. Well, are they in the Azov Stahl? You mean just in Mariupol, not in that plant or in the plant? No, in, in Azov Stahl. It's about huh. five stories down. Wow. And there have been persistent rumors that there's biolabs down there. Huh. And it would make some sense. You're going to put a biolab down there. That's a good place to put it. Yeah. But true. now Russia's going to get to go in and find out about that. So this story is not over. And the narrative humiliation is not done with. And I pointed <clears throat> out something else about Zelensky. Let's point out the Azov Battalion, they're Banderites, fans of Stefan Bandera. Banderites, right. 
have long memories. They're going to ask themselves why Zelensky kept those people down there to suffer and starve for a month. Only to have them surrender. Right. So all this suffering and starvation was for naught. And then Zelensky surrendered and is lying about it, but he did surrender. Well, now, did you? What they're going to start to wonder is why Zelensky did that day's out battalion. Well, while he was doing the Grammys. Well, so I think no, no, not the Grammys. Yeah. He was appearing at the Cannes Film Festival earlier today. I mean, I'm sure it's very late in France right now, but at 11 a.m. today, which would have been the evening in France, Variety reported that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky gives an emotional Cannes opening night speech. I, I mean, Lee, the last time I was at Cannes, you know who gave the opening night speech? Martin Scorsese. What the hell? is Vladimir Zelensky giving a speech at a film festival, and he's saying the dictator will lose. Now, uh, I've spoken to people who live in Russia right now. You and I, we speak to Mark. They don't tell us that Putin is a dictator. They seem quite happy. And many people that I speak to feel that what Putin is doing has helped Russia. I mean, I'm not saying those, this, this war, they understand his reason for that, and the people I speak to, to some extent, understand the reason and support that, but they think that in general, in the 20 years that Putin has been uh, on the international political stage, that Russia has improved. And I want to point out again, this surrender was such a huge narrative blow for yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. No soldier who's fighting in Ukraine now is not taking notice of this. Right. They're going to start to wonder, wait, if they could surrender, why can't we? <laughs> you know, just say what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. Well, and also, why is the United States continuing to pour gasoline on this fire that should have been put out before it started? Well, the U.S. can't quit this. But I think... The Ukrainian backlash against Zelensky is coming. Well, People true. here in this country may see him at Cannes and they may see the Eurovision Song Contest and think it's awesome. Right. People in Ukraine, seeing the suffering they're going under, are going to wonder why he didn't surrender a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because it's been obvious it's been over in Mariupol for a month. And that's a month of suffering and starvation for the European troops while he's doing can. And just yeah. two days ago at the Eurovision Song Contest, he said, I want to see the winner in Mariupol. Ooh. Now, the people with the <laughs> Ukrainian flag in their avatar, they may be fooled by this. Yeah. But I guarantee you the Ukrainians are not fooled by this. And the day of reckoning is coming for Zelensky. I hope that's true. And you watch, this will start to break out. I would say as early in the next week, we can start to see some of this. You're starting to see more troops surrender, for instance. And this could spell the collapse, the beginning of the end of the collapse of the Ukrainian military. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's it's very telling that I'm looking right now at Adam Parkamenko's Twitter line here, and I think you and I agree that this is a guy who was placed here to propagandize Twitter and the United States of America with pro-Ukraine pop propaganda. And instead of talking about what's going on in Azovstal today, he's been talking about baby formula and the UFO hearing in the House. He says this is a rare occasion where Marjorie Taylor Greene will swap out her tinfoil hood for a tinfoil hat. So, I mean, this is this is the U.S. military giving us information about recorded sightings of unexplained aerial phenomenon. And he still wants to equate. I mean, you know, this guy is another one of these disinformation experts who the only thing that he considers information is what he's putting out. Everything else is false. I don't understand how anybody listens to these people and doesn't criticize or question what they're saying. Democrats or who? who? Uh, these shills, these people who are putting out false information. I mean, I don't necessarily say that they're Democrats. It, they, they happen to be. But I'm talking about these professional news people who, you know, they have the blue checks. And do you have a blue check on Twitter, Lee, or did they take that away when they decided yeah, you no, were I Russian? do. I uh, do. See, that's, that's good. You've been there for a long, long time. But they just don't – yeah. it's very unclear how that works. I mean, again, it's like the high school club where if your best friend runs it, you can be in it. But if you're not cool enough or uh, on the football team or you're not pretty enough, you can't sit with us. And I like what Elon Musk plans to do. He wants to make it so that everybody can qualify for the blue check mark. Right. And I think they should. What the yeah. blue check mark is – and it does an important purpose on Twitter – it says you're really the person. I had to show my ID, for instance. It says yeah, that you're the person, it says. It right. keeps people from creating fake accounts with your name. But there's some squishiness in there because there's a whole article in The Atlantic from 2000, maybe 13, that says you're not actually following Barack Obama on Twitter. And it goes on to tell you about a litany of individuals, and I'm sure there are many more since 2013, who are tweeting on behalf of Barack Obama. So to what extent is it verified that the messages being put there are actually the thoughts of Barack Obama, or that you're actually interacting with Barack well, Obama? That's, that's, that to me is a different issue because it's still the official account of 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 that person. He may have other people tweeting for him, but at least it's not a fake account. Where you, you, for instance, created a Barack Obama account. And well, but let's contrast it with Elon Musk, because I get the very distinct impression that almost every single tweet, if not every single tweet on that Elon Musk Twitter timeline was written by Elon Musk. I think he's there with his phone typing them. Whereas Obama, you look at his Twitter line and it's laid out like a magazine. I'm sure there's a whole team of people. I think that should be different. I think there should be, you know, if he wants transparency on Twitter, if that's a place where I can interact with and maybe communicate directly with Barack Obama, I'd like to know that. Why isn't that just the Barack Obama website? But I think it's important that you you're able to distinguish this is actually the right. account belonging to that person because yeah. otherwise what someone can do is copy my avatar, which they've done, do a variant of my name and which make it look done. like it's right, and that's what I'm opposed. And I'm in favor of Elon making it everyone can do that. 
Absolutely. Anyone can remove a blue check mark. Yeah, I agree. It's, and it, it helps get rid of the box, short, too. Let's take a short break now. And when we come back, the great Ted Rawl, artist, author, Bobby Vaughn, Ted Rawl, after the short break on the backstory. Back in the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in Washington, D.C., and the surrounding environs. Joining us now, Ted Rawl, artist, cartoonist, author, Bumby Vaughn. Hey, Ted, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Great. So I want to ask you if you saw a recent story. We, we've talked before about COVID-19, and you were vaccinated more than anybody I know. Did you see the recent New York Times story about the apparent contaminations that were being covered up in this factory in Philadelphia? No, no, Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore. For, Delaware, I was Joe Biden's favorite state. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> no, going. I have not Jason. seen it. No, I have not. Yeah, so what they found out was during 2021, 20, during that period, this is under President Obama. Trump's Operation Warp Speed. That there was all kinds of problems at the factory, and that memos have come out, and people were really worried about it at the factory contamination, and they covered it up. They hid it from FDA inspectors. Now, I saw Russell Brand do a video on this, and he was pointing out that one of the problems, when you have companies, pharmaceutical companies that are driven by the profit motive, they have an extra incentive to possibly lie. So what do you think about, I know you're just sharing about it, but would you believe, do you, I mean, I'm not making it up, so, but do, would it shock you to find out that there was contamination issues that were being hidden? Not particularly, no. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. And do you, as someone who's, do you have concerns that you have profit-driven companies involved in Operation Warp Speed putting together this vaccine plan very quickly? Did that raise any concerns for you? Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, look, I think it's it's a miracle. Uh, I think... You know, the the fact that things came together so quickly probably would not have happened under a Democratic president. Um, but, you know, I think I wasn't the only person who was discomf discomfited by the fact that the messaging went from it will be five years until we see a vaccine at the earliest to, hey, we're going to have one within months. Uh, you know, you, you have to assume that corners were being cut. Uh, I think with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, okay, well, you know, maybe that was a bad idea, but I think, you know, the country was in a mad panic and I, uh, I don't blame the Trump administration for going that route. Now, that's very, very, Ted. 
Because I know you're not a Trump fan. You're not wearing your MAGA hat right now, right, Ted? (laughs) (laughs) Or any hat, but no. And I don't own a MAGA hat. I'm not surprised. Now, but to, now, to elaborate on that, Lee, one of the points that Russell Brand made was that he felt that the very concept of having profit-driven pharmaceutical companies was the cause of this, and he suggested that perhaps the solution would be to, you know, I don't know, have some sort of socialized control over this. I don't know that that eliminates corruption, does it? Well, it takes out one aspect of it. There are other mm-hmm. areas you could have corruption, but it. And I thought Russell Brand's video on this was very fair. He was saying he's not deadly opposed to companies being involved. He's just saying it as a complication. Is that what you heard, Jason? It is, but I disagreed with it. And I I felt he, he insinuated certain things. In my view, the key problem here is not that it's capitalist. Because you know what? I thought that for a while. And then I watched the debate where someone was talking about the free market. This is... I don't remember if it was Ted who brought this up or another guest we had previously, but the difference between capitalism and a free market. The problem that I see with pharmaceutical companies in America and their relationship with the FDA is that the FDA is funded by fees that come from the pharmaceutical companies. The FDA should not be involved in any kind of projects that result in anybody working at the FDA profiting from interacting with pharmaceutical companies, nor should the FDA be funded by pharmaceutical companies. The FDA should be funded by the U.S. government and should answer to the people of the United States and be completely removed from the pharmaceutical companies. I think that would go further towards resolving the corruption. If it was run by the government, somebody would just go pay the guy in the government to approve the thing, and you'd have corruption right there. General? Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that point. I think that's a fair point. Now, Ted... We're talking about the Buffalo shooting a bit on the show. Now, of course, everybody wants to blame everybody but the person who did the shooting. You know what I mean? They want to blame other factors, whatever they are. I think one of the main issues here is there is a mental health issue, obviously. Obviously. What do you think? Some people think, though, that bringing up mental health Let's other factors off the hook. Where do you come down to things like that when a tragedy like this happens, Ted? Well, I mean, obviously, there's a mental health uh, component here. And, uh, you know, it, it's totally fair to point to the uh, millions of people who own guns and don't use them to kill their fellow Americans. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's also, you know, a toxic, uh, you know, white nationalism and uh, racism that is uh, all over the internet, and uh, this, you know, this dude was obviously self-radicalized by his own account. And then there's also, I think uh, it's worth, and I wish that people who were on my side politically would say it this way, uh, the problem with guns is not that they allow killing, because obviously you can kill people with other weapons. It's the ease, the body count is just gonna be higher. So, you know, on average, if a person freaks out and decides they're going to off a lot of people, um, it's just going to be easier to do it with high-powered semi-automatic rifles than it is to do it, uh, you know, with say a low-powered, with, like with a pistol or with a knife or, uh, you know, a rock. I mean, the body counts are higher. You know, we think well, about well, wait, the, the, sorry, the Ted, festival sorry. in. 
the festival. About- well, let me just finish the festival in Vegas, right, where the guy was up, uh, you know, shooting from the ho- his hotel room. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa, whoa. I, I got to take out hundreds stop of you. people. First if he didn't of all, have that big wait gun. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The police released body camera footage a year after that shooting, and it showed that the hotel window that they say Paddock shot out of wasn't even broken at 10.32 p.m. when Paddock was killed. So let's not go into that. What, just to address your point about the body count, what about an SUV driving through a Christmas parade? A crazy person will find a way to kill as many people as they want to kill, no matter how many bullets you can put into how many guns. Well, an SUV is an example of, uh, of it's too much car. Actually, people shouldn't. Uh, you SUVs could have should driven not, a SUVs smart car literally through the not parade. Be an on, SUV should on. literally not be a legal vehicle in the United States because they, they, they're such gas guzzlers. They My SUV so much. gets 40 miles to the gallon. It's a hybrid. You could drive a smart car through a parade and kill 30 people in five minutes or five seconds. This is not a proper. But, but we if you were have, driving a sedan, your, your hybrid would get 70, but okay. <laughs> no, and I and there's also precedent for it. You can't buy a machine gun, a Gatling gun, let's say. They're they're weapons you can't buy, and they're based apparently on. I, I, there's more limits on machine guns. I, I don't know what the laws are specifically, but there are certain weapons you can't buy Full because auto, they're not allowed. too dangerous. Yes, right. Fully automatic, not allowed. So that's the principle. They don't let you buy some guns because you can shoot too fast. So saying, let's move the line, I don't exactly have a problem with that. I think Ted's making a reasonable point. Ted, what do you say about where the line is? I mean, you know, look, that's what politics is. Politics is, uh, peop- is, is people arguing about what's right and what should be right and what should be wrong. And reasonable people can and will and should disagree about it. Right now, we're having one of those conversations, right? Um, so it's, it's up for society to figure that out. But it is completely fair. To, I mean, by the way, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of uh, the Second Amendment. But it's yeah. completely fair to, to say that um, that people sh- that you know guns should be regulated to some extent. Yeah. Uh, you know, cars are regulated. Um, so uh, you know, why shouldn't why shouldn't guns be regulated? They're equally dangerous. Uh, so, and it's certainly this true that thought. like I need help. it's certainly true that that the body count of uh, you know the body count in uh, in these mass shootings is getting higher and higher. And you know, it, the the body counts were lower on average. Uh, you know, before the assault weapons ban was uh, was was uh, eliminated. So I think it's look, the truth is these things are a perfect storm. Uh, you can't and, and anybody who tries to say it's one thing, it's guns or it's just mental illness or it's just racial hatred or, and, you know, and there's probably other factors uh, going on as well, you know, that we're just unaware of. Um, it, there's, you know, it's, it's always a perfect storm that causes these things. It's a bunch of factors and uh, reasonable people know that we're, we're falling for it right now because the problem is I'm not trying to say it's one thing, but it does seem that each time these happen, there's only one thing being discussed. I have not heard an equal discussion about 
Where was law enforcement? We have all this information from this guy. How is it that I can put out a video on YouTube that questions COVID policy and it's taken down within hours and somebody like this can be posting manifestos and TikTok videos and whatever the hell the guy was doing there. We always see after this occurs, there's a, a trail of tears on social media and the FBI always seems to have known this guy and law enforcement always knew this guy and nobody did anything. But yet the conversation is always, we need to ban this type of, by the way, I don't own any guns at all. So I'm not saying oh, I got to have my AR or AK or whatever the hell it is. I'm just saying it's what we're doing is we're baby stepping. It's the same thing they're doing with this conversation about disinformation. They want to immediately distract you from what the key point is. They establish disinformation is dangerous, so we have to regulate it. Okay, but nobody is talking about, wait a minute, how did you decide what is or isn't disinformation? So making this argument about what we should do about guns – I believe, is totally missing the point. Because the problem we have in this country right now, first of all, is a serious lack of law enforcement. And that is affecting everybody. Somebody mentioned that in Chicago, there's been something like seven uh, equivalent of these Buffalo shootings, just in terms of the number of people that were killed, only in the last few weeks. And it's it's not one person doing it. So, I mean, from a standpoint of how many people are getting killed, does it matter if one person walks into the store and shoots 10 or if 10 individual people shoot one? What is the problem? The problem is lawlessness. The problem is people being let out on the street after they've committed these crimes, not being held, not being held with bail, not being put in jail being let out because they have COVID, committing crimes again, not having the families and the police and the teachers intervene to prevent these things from happening. I, this is a knee-jerk reaction to say we have to do something with the guns. We have to get law enforcement on the ball in this country. I think that's a, that's a uh, you know, it's a separate phenomenon, right? I mean, they both involve people getting killed in often case by guns, but they're, but you know, when you're talking about criminality and recidivism, uh, that's a different, you know, that's a different phenomenon. It's a serious one, and it is a law enforcement not, issue. Not just that, but, but for, but it's not, a, but it's not a law enforcement issue when you're talking about, uh, you know, a, a situation like this kid who had no, you know, who had no priors, had never hurt anyone. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he no, wasn't the cops picked up. Knew they knew everybody him, but said, they couldn't. You everybody yeah, said but we don't he have, was planning we, this. Yeah, sure, but you can't arrest people for that. I mean, we don't have my, we don't live under Minority Report. Uh, you know, we the, the law is set up to deal with psychopaths, not sociopaths. Uh, it's not against the law to say whack, wacky, baddie stuff on the internet. And uh, you know, believe me, uh, if I I really wish that people who sent me uh, threats of violence. Uh, could be arrested. I really do. Uh, I think they ought to be, but that's just not the legal system. Uh, you know, the police don't have that ability. Those the laws aren't written that way. So uh, you know, we can <clears throat> decide we want to go in that direction, but we're not there. And also, the laws this issue you bring up, for instance, that might apply to something like CVS drugstores or WalMarts or or Walgreens being ripped off in San Francisco. That's a lawlessness issue. But the shootings, frankly, are an indicator of something else. It's either gang warfare or— No, no, no. And I think it's all relatedly because, you see, I see it happening in New York City 
when people realize that you can go into Washington Square Park and sell pot and steal people's phones and beat up old people and do whatever you want and the cops aren't going to do anything, what that does is it takes young, curious mischief makers and turns them into criminals. And it takes existing criminals and they graduate to higher levels of crime. And what we're having is an entire breakdown where, you know, when Hillary Clinton and all of her disciples can break the law and illegally install a president and there's just, you know, no rails on anything and everybody can do whatever the hell they want. There, why is it when you go to Japan, everybody sits there on the subway reading a book and they're quiet and they don't bother anybody. They don't speak on a phone. There is a societal understanding in Japan that you respect other people and that you behave a certain way. And I'm not saying we should be Japan, but there's something to be learned from that. There is a disorder and a disorganization here that leads to this type of stuff. This kid's parents, this kid's teachers, this kid's local law enforcement could intervene and say, hey, this kid's crazy. You should take away the guns from him, parents. And maybe it's not against the law, but what happened to good old fashioned, you know, the cop walking around who does a basketball game with the kids on the Saturday. There, there was a movie made about the LVMPD just prior to the Las Vegas shooting that spoke about a guy who was running for sheriff against Lombardo who had done exactly that. Instead of, you know, bashing the skulls of local Las Vegas gangs, this police officer started a basketball club and became friends with some of these kids. And he would show up on scene where crimes were happening and some of these kids would be there and he could defuse the crimes by speaking to them. We need to do stuff like that. The police are far too disconnected from the communities all around this country. This attitude of us versus them, I see it when I approach police officers looking for help. That's the problem, in my view. Well, I don't think you can get you- Ted defending the police too much, but Ted, go ahead and do, do that. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, here in New York, we do have the, pol- the police athletic league that uh, makes inroads to tries to uh, connect to the community that way. And, you know, I think unlike a lot of communities, a lot of cities, uh, you know, New York's one of those cities where the police actually have actual crimes uh, that that they're working on, you know, they don't exist primarily for revenue enhancement. Uh, so, you know, there uh, there's more respect for them in a city like this. In fact, I mean, most New Yorkers I know, including uh, lefties like me, would like to see more cops on the street. Really, uh, instead of like in their cars or on their phones, we'd like to see them in the subways. We'd like to see more of. A, we'd like to see them interacting far more with the public. Um, but it's, you know, I think, you know, your, your point is taken about Japan. I used to work, I used to go there a lot on business. I used to work for a Japanese company. And, you know, the thing about that society is that they live in, they're very densely populated. And when people live in close quarters, they have to learn to be polite. My first day living in Manhattan in the early 80s as a college student, uh, I was reading a newspaper, so you know this dates the story, and my newspaper dripped over on some guy's head, and he swatted it away, you know, lesson learned. Uh, you know, your space is smaller in Manhattan than it is in Kettering, Ohio, where I grew up. Uh, you know, in Japan, same thing. They have, they, there's, you know, they have that, that, that they have tighter, they have a smaller little sphere uh, for each individual, and they live that way, and their society reflects it. Um, you know, there's there, some restaurants are so small that there's no room for your for your briefcase. Uh, you have to leave it out on the sidewalk in Tokyo. Uh, you know, in the, in America, we still have this old West mentality 
we, we think that we're John Wayne. We think we're on the frontier. And only 140 years ago, people were still having shootouts. So that's, you know, I think that's still part of our national psyche is that, you know, we should be, uh, we don't have to have respect for other people. We just take out, we just, uh, you know, stake a claim. Uh, we live out by ourselves. Uh, we, we, we don't see our neighbors. And if we have to see our neighbors, we just don't talk to them. We stay in our cars. Um, you know, it, it's, I think it's, it's systemic. It's not, you know, sort of something you can legislate. It's just the nature of our history. Australia is very similar. So well, I'm not Ted, necessarily we, seeing legislation. The parents I'm talking about. People need to teach their kids to intervene when you have a crazy kid who has a room full of guns. Yeah, but what, is it, what, no, what are they right. supposed to do when you're talking about an 18 or a 19-year-old kid? That's an adult. Uh, that person can do whatever they want. Um, you know, they, they can legally purchase uh, firearms. Uh, they can... They, you know, I mean, what is a parent supposed to uh, do? My parents they, had a lot they have of moral authority. Over me when I was 19. I mean, to some extent, you can do whatever you want. But then again, if the kid doesn't have a job or a place to live, the parent could have a lot of influence over that kid. Still, I mean, there's still, I mean, you know, that's, that's hardly an answer for people who live on their own. I mean, the point is that, like, I, I think we have to look at sort of the demographics of, you know, there's some of a loner, a kid who, you know, these kids never have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? They're always alone, very few friends, male, um, spending way too much time, uh, you know, online looking at weird stuff. Uh, that to me is a sign of an atomized society uh, where people are, you know, sort of like that incel phenomenon. Uh, everybody looks down on them and hates them. Uh, you know, well, it's their own fault if they don't you know, have a date on Friday night. Maybe, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a stupid society that thinks it can just sort of uh, look at a whole segment of people and say, well, you know, hey, I, hey, you have a problem? That's tough. That's your problem. But that's our society. In That's the nature of, of, of American culture. It's the nature of capitalism. In this country, you get sick, you're on your own. You know, you get you you have mental illness. You're on your own. You have a you get you know you have a a a crazy you know ex spouse that's driving you crazy and is uh, stalking you. That's on you. You know, you have to solve all your own problems here. Uh, and it's a it's because we don't have a communitarian culture or economy. Let's go from trying to solve the problems of mass shootings to Ted. Let me give you a different utopian goal. So in a fantasy scenario, we've spent a lot of time talking about the problems that Republicans have as Republicans and the things that frustrate us. But if you were in charge of the Democrat Party, you've talked before about some of the problems you see. If magically you were in charge of the Democrat Party and you controlled messaging and tactics, what would you do to try to make the Democrat Party something that's more responsive to people. Because I think you'd agree. The Democrats have become very disconnected from the concerns of the average person. Do you agree, Ted? Oh, 100%. I mean, they, yeah, people are talking and thinking about inflation. Uh, and, you know, the, and the, the, the government's talking to them about all the jobs they've created. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's never a good look when people say, Hey, I'm hurting. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm upset. And uh, and for the government to tell you or a, po or a political party to say, 
you know, actually you're fine. You're, you're just too stupid to realize it. Um, you know, so that's what Democrats are doing now. If I were running the Democratic Party, I would do two things. First of all, there's nothing wrong with uh, bragging about the things you've done right. And they can do that. And But they do need to acknowledge the problems uh, on the economy. I would say, look, the you know inflation is obviously an issue. Uh, you know we're not going to lie to you; it's a problem. On the other hand, it also kind of comes out of something that we've long wanted in this country, which is low unemployment and rising wages. Uh, we have those. We haven't had those in a long, 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 long time. Uh, how, so, do, how does that create inflation? Well, uh, you have a low. Obviously, if you have a, a labor shortage. Uh, there's been there's upward pressure on wages. Uh, employers have to uh, pay people more. The devaluation of the more. dollar from printing all this money and sending it to Ukraine and sending it all around the world and printing money that we don't have. Devaluing the dollar is what's causing this precipitous inflation, not anything to do with jobs. Well, that's deficit spending, and deficit spending, uh, you know, obviously is not new. Okay, I mean, obviously it's at it's at higher than ever levels. It increases exponentially all the time. The Ukraine crap feeds into it, but it's it's no no single thing. But the point is, I would they can definitely take credit for low unemployment. Uh, you know, low unemployment is literally the most important thing that you can offer uh, voters in an economy, and that's not something Democrats should run away from. But at the same time, uh, they do need to talk about the things that are bugging young voters, like, you know, they're overwhelmed with their student loans. Um, they're, uh, you know, I understand there's a moral hazard argument to be made about the kids who didn't, you know, they chose not to go to college because they couldn't afford it. What about them? Why should they be paying higher taxes to pay for kids who made a different choice? Um, but the point is, uh, they all, but it is but student loan, but these kids get out of college with massive student loan debt. It's not good for the economy. They can't buy a house. They can't buy a car. Uh, you know, that's a problem for society. Um, healthcare, just, you know, it's still a disaster. Obamacare doesn't work. Uh, there's a lot of counties where there's no competition in the marketplace. Uh, look, they've got to acknowledge that. They need to do a public option. They need to push, they, they just need to push hard for that. Let the Republicans go on record voting against that. Um, there's, uh, I think, a need for a national uh, $20 an hour minimum wage, um, higher in, of course, others in states with a higher cost of living. But really, it's impossible. You know, really, just showing up as a warm body should get you 20 bucks an hour anywhere in this country. Have you, uh, you ever know, paid the, the somebody minimum- to work for you, Ted? Do you think everybody deserves 20 bucks an hour for just showing up? I think it sends the wrong message. There's a ton of people walking around right now who are the age that you're talking about, who think they deserve $20 an hour for just showing up. I, You're a great guy, Ted, and I'm not saying anything personal, but I've never disagreed with you more than I do today. Well, actually, I think it's closer to 30 because that's what the minimum wage would be if it had kept up with inflation since 1970. And that's just the official inflation rate. So, you know, I, I'm lowballing it at 20, really. Uh, deserve? Yeah, deserve. I mean, you know, it's like it's not a moral thing. If you want to pay a human being, you know, that's probably breathing to sit at a desk and do a mildly decent job uh, of doing some boring, easy job. Yeah, that's you should pay them 20 bucks an hour just to be there, just to not be somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, we disagree. People need to work. 
to produce things, to make things. What we need to do is we need to stop printing money out of thin air, giving money to every single cause that every person decides we need to give money to. We need to clamp down on corruption. And instead of raising taxes and giving people money, we need to start looking at the vast sums of money that are being stolen by things like military operations in Somalia and nonprofit organizations that are black holes for billions and trillions of dollars. And by the way, all these people who went to college and can't pay their student loans, how much pot did those people smoke? How much studying did they do? How much crapping around and not going to class did they do? How dedicated were those people to actually being at college versus feeling like this is the thing that they need to do? And and who lent them? The, the, look, I'm not defending banks, but the point is when we just start arbitrarily deciding whose business we're going to close down to benefit who else. Sorry, that's that's wrong. These people, if you can't afford to go to college, first of all, my opinion is you could learn more from watching YouTube and getting a job or starting your own business or doing your own project than you're going to learn from most colleges in the first place. And that's truer now than it ever was before. In fact, I've advised children of my own friends to my friend's chagrin that they shouldn't go to college. So I am totally against this idea of canceling student debt. And by the way, if you want to even approach that subject, we need to eliminate the tax exemption for all of these universities. Why are the university professors and the university uh, you know, uh, administrators making millions of dollars while people like you and me and all these people who didn't go to college to get jobs have to pay taxes so the pot-smoking people who want to sit at a desk for $30 an hour do Doing a marginally okay job, get $30 an hour. I totally disagree. And by the way, I, I like pot, but if you're going to college and all you do is smoke it and not go to class, you could do that at home for free. Ted, do you have well, any problem with wanna... the, the education system currently? Uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of problems with it. And I was just going to say, parenthetically, if you want to have a, a THC uh, blood test to determine whether people deserve student loan forgiveness, I suppose that's something that no, no, you know, no, no, I'd no. be open to arguing about. It would be about, their dedication think, to college, their dedication to college but while I'm, they were there. But what I'm saying is that, look, the truth is kids are told 17 years old, let's say they're, co they're college eligible, they have a good high school record. They're told that if they don't go to college, they're never going to get a decent job. So, you know, you can say that's the system. We've set up a stupid system. Most jobs don't really require a college diploma uh, to do or to perform. Far from it. But, we, but employers want a, a, someone with a bachelor's or even a master's for jobs that really don't require them. So what do you want individuals to do? They're, they're told, OK, well, college is $80,000 a year at a private school. Um, you know, obviously, very few people have that. So, you know, what are you going to do? You can be poor the rest of your life or you borrow a whole bunch of money that you can't afford for this degree that's really not worth anything close to what they say and that you don't really need. And that's completely, you know, we have total uh, certification inflation. And, you know, people are making these individual choices. We set up this system. You know, it's kind of like our savings rate in this country. Gee, why don't Americans save? Well, well why don't hang on, you asked me a question. Maybe, like wait, let me it. just finish it. One more thing. Just, why don't Americans save? I don't know. If you want people to save, maybe you should pay, not pay 0.3% interest on savings accounts. So Gee, it's like you, that. You, you know, we set up this system. Hang on. You asked me, what do I expect people to do? And you, you predicated that by saying that people are told you need to go to college to get a good job.
And what yeah, I personally, they don't Jason, know anything. what I they don't want know people anything. to do, whether they're 17, 15, 4, 80, whatever age they are, what I want people to do is evaluate truthful information to the greatest extent that they can and come to their own conclusions that are best for them, irrespective of what other people say. So if people tell me you need a degree to get a job, I'm going to scrutinize that. I'm going to scrutinize the job they're talking about. I'm going to decide if the company I'm proposing to work for is even doing something the way that I think it should be done. And if they're not, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, but that's presupposing uh, a 17-year-old has knowledge and maturity that is well beyond his or her years. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, think about the student loans. Uh, you know, you sign, well, you sign the student loan agreement the day you turn 18 years old, right? And it's like, okay, you're going to, let's just say you're doing everything right. You try to anticipate, well, the jobs that we expect to pay the most in five years when I graduate are this. Then you come out and there's uh, that job, they were wrong. That job is there's no longer any demand for that job that you have a degree for, or you ended, or the economy goes into recession because people bought too much Dogecoin or whatever, some, something that has nothing to do with them. I mean, it's a crapshoot. It's a it's a hail mary pass. They're literally just you know making a blind decision. There's no way for them to make an educated decision. That's why it's not fair. To hold them accountable for no, a disagree. choice that they you're, you're, that they're they saying that people that should be about. zombies and drones and put themselves into a system and move through that system. And then when they get out on the other end, if the outcome isn't what they want, we should all be there to protect them but from any negative of, outcome. We're out of time, unfortunately, but a great conversation, Ted and Jason. It's why I say we're a free speech and anti-censorship zone. Great yeah. conversations like that. Ted Rawl, thanks so much for joining us. His website, Thank you. if you want to support his capitalism, R-A-L-L.com. <laughs> All kinds of swag. Ted's Thank swag you, you can Ted. get there. Thank you. Jason Goodman from Crowdsource of Truth, a Patreon Crowdsource of Truth. And thanks so much to all our callers. And thanks so much. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.